show up every day, ready to work, work hard, because you can only be responsible for the effort. The result will take care of itself. And it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has uh, founded several startups and have grown them to seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where, I, where we help startups um, and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the episode, and Greg, and I'm going to say Greg D, because I can't pronounce your last name, or I'm worried I'm going to mess it up. But... Greg is a, as for a while he was a, um, out of high school, was an NYPD uh, police, or, you know, police officer, went to the detective squad. He worked there, I think for 31 years and then retired after an injury. And then he decided, okay, now what do I do? I'm not ready to retire. I'm not ready to stop, uh, stop going. So what do I do next? Went back to undergraduate, um, studied in some, in broadcast and TV, and then went into the business originally of uh, the, mail or mailing business where you get all those cards and everything else in the mail and everybody else are advertising and grew that shop to a more of a full service marketing business, which is where he's at today. So with that much as a, um, as an introduction, welcome to the podcast, Greg. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. So I gave a, a very quick or brief introduction kind of of uh, over a, a much longer career, but maybe walk us through your journey coming out of high school and going to the NYPD. <laughs> you got a popcorn to last through this? This is a, it's a journey that was took lots of different turns. Uh, I went into the police department. We're, we're I wasn't strapped, in and, re- we're strapped in and ready to go. So let's hear it. Strapped in, ready to rock and roll. There you go. All right. So I went into the police department. I wasn't even 18 yet. They had something called the trainee program where you're supposed to be a clerical man and file papers and stuff. Hmm. But the biggest mistake they made, they sent me to East Harlem to the detective squad in East Harlem. And those guys thought I was supposed to be a junior detective. And they treated me that way. I showed up the first day in my little trainee uniform, trainee Demetrio reporting for duty, sir. And they said, kid, this is a detective squad. Go get yourself some suits. So (laughs) these were the old time fedora wearing, cigar smoking, tattooed New York City detectives, and probably the best pedigree detectives in the city of New York at the time. And I learned from them. Uh, they never treated me like a little clerical kid. They treated me like one of their own. So fast forward, you have to move around in the police department. They send me out. They send me back to uniform. I would go to the 13th precinct, and I start to learn the trade of being a patrol officer. And then a friend of mine who I ran across in that part of my uh, career uh, became in charge of the undercover squad. Mm. And he decided he wanted to bring me into the undercover squad, so he did. Uh, I what tried to walk out of one question, not to dive in too, or too early to your journey. So is a detective everything like his shows like on TV where he got CSI, he got all the cool gears and Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Don't watch. No, 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 no. And no, no, nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. You go from being bored to being an adrenaline rush. Uh, you, it's strategic. It's more deliberative. Uh, nothing like Sherlock Holmes. Nobody's that smart. Uh, it's, it's a collaboration of effort and it's a lot of grinding. It's a lot of grinding, putting small pieces of the puzzle together so you come out with a good result. I was fortunate to wind up in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office where I worked with some of the best lawyers uh, in the world. Uh, Bob Morgenthau was the DA for many, many years. He just passed, may he rest in peace. 
and he was my mentor. And uh, I learned the trade there. And fast forward, not to belabor the police department because it's a business show. Uh, I ran into a bank stick up one time and I got seriously wounded and a uniformed cop got killed in the same shootout. So not only that disrupted my career, it forced my retirement. And so the question was, now what? Right? One, so one now what? Question. I'm 31 years old. I'm going to ask one quick question just because you talked about a bait and stick up and you went over. So I, the only time I ever see or hear about bait stick ups or stick ups is when I go to the movies. And I know that there's a new Liam Neeson movie coming out about him being a bank robber. But is it a frequent occurrence? Do bank stick ups happen a lot? Or is that, I always thought it was more of the old Wild West. And, you know, you would ride in on your horse, you'd stick up the bank and you'd ride out. But does that still happen frequently or does it, is it a rare occurrence? No, no, this was, this, this was a total fluke. In my job in the DA squad, we didn't do street crime at all. We had been on an organized crime stakeout, and we were leaving the stakeout, and we came across the uniform cop chasing a bank robber, and we, we stopped our cars, and we jumped out and joined the chase. Mm. Unfortunately, I was the fastest of the three, chased the guy into Grand Sessler. He was ready. I wasn't, and he shot me, and then turned and killed the uniform cop, Tommy Schimenti. Mm. So it was a big deal. Um, it was on front page of Daily News in New York City. It was on the press for weeks. Uh, anyhow, it was a big changing point in my life. So the, your show is the inventive journey, and I just had to keep reinventing myself many, many times in life. So when I retired uh, because of the injury, I went to college. I had never gone to college. I'm 31 years old, and I'm in class with the 17 and 18-year-olds. You want to talk about a hoot? That was a hoot. The instructors and the professors were my age. We used to go out and drink beer. It was great. Didn't hurt my grades at all. I'll tell you that right now. So I did that. And then uh, because I was retired, I didn't have to stay in Long Island. Long Island was very expensive to live here. So I moved all the way upstate into a really, really rural setting in the Adirondacks. And I lived there for a few years. And I led the gentleman life. With, I had horses and a barn and a corral and whatever. And then my brother... Uh, called me and he said, listen, I need you to come down here and help me start this new company. Mm. So what do you mean? Well, we got this new company going and I want you to be part of it. Okay, my best friend in life, my brother, of course I'm gonna come. So next to Massbeth, Queens, which is about 250 miles on a Monday morning. And we started out, we had a 10,000, we had no people and no equipment and we needed to do shareholder communications, proxy mail, if you will, for one of the major brokerage firms. I had no people, no, it was an empty 10,000 square foot facility. Mm. I packed it with temps the first couple of months, about a hundred temps because the labels were heat sensitive and we had to cut them out and iron them on with craft, craft irons. So it was a hoot. But fast forward to the next year, I had 132 employees and all the necessary equipment and we did about 50 million pieces of proxy mail at that point. Mm. Sadly, my brother passed away suddenly, and mm. his partners were not Wall Street people, and they couldn't maintain the business, and it closed. So here I am, back on Long Island, with no prospects and no job. Now what? So I did crazy jobs just to, put, to pay the rent. I was a night watchman. I was a real estate salesperson. I was even a data entry clerk at Publishers Clearinghouse, if you know who they are, right? I so, do. The I did whatever I could, whatever I, I could to. 
I know publishers clearing out. The only reason I know it is because I used to have an uncle, and I, oh, I still have the uncle, but he used to be, he always thought he was going to win big and he was always going to make it. So he would do, I mean, I think he spent years going back and forth and billing things and doing it, everything else. And he was always just this close, but never won. So that was my ex total exposure of it. But go ahead. But you know, you, you got to do what you got to do to put rent, you know, pay the rent and put food on the table. So that's the position I was in. And, you know, fast forward, I did that for about a year and a half, just making ends meet. And then I found an ad in the New York Times company for sale. Oh, I know how to do that. So, okay, we called the guy up. Lorraine and I pooled what money we had. And we bought this little company that was located in two storefronts. It had no equipment, no computer, no fax machine, and had three little old ladies in the back room stuffing envelopes. That was the start of the mailing company we're in today. So fast forward now, 28 years later, uh, we're in 25,000 square feet. We have 35 employees, and we've converted ourselves from a mailing shop to a full-service integrated marketing company. And we service some of the bigger accounts here on Long Island. We service uh, Northwell Health, which is the biggest hospital system in New York, mm. uh, Hofstra University, St. John's University, and many of the other big players. Uh, we probably do around 70 million pieces collateral. And that doesn't include the agency side of the business because we say we're an agency in the front of the house and a factory in the back because we have a very big printing in part of our facility. So maybe let me ask a question or kind of dive in. Um, so, you know, you started, you bought your own shop. And so first of all, how did you find the shop with the three little old ladies in the back? And how did you say, this is what I'm going to do, or this is, you know, this is the next stage of my business. How did you kind of identify that opportunity? Well, well, back in the day, the New York times had a tagline. It says, I found it in the times. And I found it in the Times because I was working all of these nonsense jobs and I was looking for an opportunity. I needed a real job. And what happened was Lorraine and I pooled what money we had and we bought this little company in Beth Page because I needed a job. And it was just as simple as that. I mean, you know, we had to do it. And, and quite frankly, I was scared out of my face. I didn't know a P&L from a balance sheet. Uh, all I knew was how to work hard and show up every day. And thank you, God, it worked out. And uh, here we are today in a much bigger situation and 28 years later. So basically, you just found a for a classified ad, for lack of a better word, somebody saying, hey, we want to sell our business in the New York Times. And said, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I'm going to go buy that. You did a little bit of or diligence on it, bought the company and, and picked up from there. Correct. I went and met the owner at his house. Uh, we had a nice conversation. A very nice man. Uh, he had had the business for 27 years and he was tired of doing it. Mm. And uh, he was very forthcoming. If I asked the right questions, he gave me the right answers. If I didn't ask the questions, he didn't give me the answers. And I had to learn them as I went along. Mm. But I was so different from him. He was very stiff. And as a business owner, if you didn't pay him in 30 days, he wasn't doing another ounce of work for you. Me, I was. I just wanted everybody to give me work. So I said, sure, you're going to pay me? Okay, fine. We'll do more work for you. And we were very fortunate. The company grew very, very well uh, through referrals because I'm kind of a gregarious guy. I make friends with customers. And it real, the referral wheel got really, really big. And that's what helped us grow. By the time we were, were in a situation where we needed to go to do 
our own marketing and advertising, we probably had 300 regular clients already. Hmm. So maybe one question. So you started out, you bought the business and you, and you had the three little old ladies and I can just picture that in my mind in the back, you know, stuffing envelopes and doing the bulk mailing. You know, now if I were to take that, and what year was that that you originally bought the business? That was in 1992. So I'd assume, so 1992, we're almost coming up on 30 years, 28 years since, you know, since you bought it. I assume, and based on, you know, my knowledge of marketing, that, you know, things have evolved, things have changed. And so how did you, over that course of 28 years, figure out, you know, stay relevant, stay marketing? I'm sure that there are plenty of companies that were doing, you know, stuffing or stuffing envelopes, so to speak, and doing bulk mailing yeah. that have gone out of business. So how did you navigate or pivot that such that you didn't just, you know, become a, you know, a bit of a dinosaur, so to speak, and, you know, That's go to the wayside, but rather continue to grow? That's actually a terrific question because it's a very important part of the process. In 1994, the post office changed their rules in terms of postage discounting. Right? Mm. And if you, were, if you wanted to access the discounting, you had to automate the mailing. You had to put barcodes on it. Mm. And all those little mom and pop shops that were in the garages and whatnot, they did not want to invest in the technology. Mm. Well, if I didn't invest in the technology, I was out of business. So we started barcode. We learned how to barcode mail. And I got to tell you, the post office has a book about this thick of rules. It's online now, but it was used to be this thick. And the only, there was only two people in the world who knew how to interpret that book. One was on vacation, and I think the other one was in, in ICU, because nobody knew the rules. So we had to learn the rules from the ground up. And that's one of the things that put us in a great position, because prior to that, you would be paying for the service. After that rule change by the post office, it was basically an, a, a no sell sell. You would come to me, I would save you enough money to pay for me and still you would have a net savings. It made no sense not to give it to me. So for the next, up until 08, 09, we were growing double digits every year, straight up. And uh, you know, 08, 09, well, that changed everything. You know, the lid clamped down on the economy. Uh, the internet was born and it's, everybody thought they could do everything electronically. And then of course the post office was in trouble themselves. So it was the perfect storm that put a damper on everything. So again, we had to change. We had to change how we did stuff. What did we do? So, okay, so I bought three companies because I bought a little printer that we used to outsource to. I told him, you have to come in with me or I'm going to go elsewhere. We were such a big account, he had to come. Mm. I bought an envelope company from an elderly gentleman who had been in the business for a long time. He, he, he printed contract envelopes, in other words, for big banks and so forth and so on. He'd print them hundreds of thousands at a time. And we bought that company. And then we bought another similar company to ours, a direct mail a processing company, printing and mail company, and we merged all three together. We've been really successful to pull that off because we've kept a lot of the uh, employees, we've kept a lot of the accounts, and you know that gave us the critical mass to start thinking about changing our business model to become a marketing agency. What happened was the printing and mailing industry was telling the printers, listen, you have to be a value-added provider you have to be something called a market solution provider. What did that really mean? It re really meant the, the guy who ran the press was gonna tell you how to market your business. Nonsense, right? 
So I decided, okay, we're going to do that, but we're going to do it right. So we started to hire people with marketing skills. We hired graphic design, uh, web designers. We hired uh, uh, motion graphics people. We hired video editors. We hired copywriters. We hired all of those types of people as we grew that side of the business. It was very expensive to do, but it was the right thing to do because now we're considered a premier agency in our region because we did it the right way. We didn't lie. We didn't make believe, you know, and say something that we didn't know was true. So we've got a really great reputation and that's what we guard with our lives around here now. It's, it, without the reputation that we have, we're nowhere. You know, there's lots of people who do what we do, um, but we try to become a partner from Jump Street. We want to be at the table when the ideas are germinated. No, I, I think that makes complete sense. I give you kind of kudos again, made the pivot the first time and then you said, okay, now we're 2008, 2009, we're going to have to pivot to stay relevant. I think it's awesome that you went to spot or several businesses saying, well, hey, we don't have this in-house. Let's go and acquire what we don't have and so we can continue to grow. So one question I'd almost have now, kind of looking into the, the future, crystal ball just a bit, you know, take, it, it seems like, and th this is from a little bit of the outsider looking in, um, you know, you have, it seems like the pace of things that are continue to increase, meaning you have more and more, you know, different platforms that are getting released more quickly. And, you know, for different businesses, they may or may not be relevant, but, you know, I'm not a big TikTok. I, I never even logged into TikTok. All, all the only thing I know is I hear about it and, you know, but TikTok is one that it seems to be in the news a lot, or you have, you know, Twitter and Facebook for other reasons seem to be in the news a lot. You have, you know, mailing, you have video, you know, you have TV commercials. Now you have all the streaming services. You have podcasts, you have books. So how do you, where, or I guess the question, where do you see the, you know, the marketing industry going in the next few years and how do you kind of stay relevant and how do you continue to adapt and evolve as the pace of, of evolution seems to keep picking up? That seems to be my only job nowadays is to figure out where we need to go next. Uh, we just finished a, a project maybe about a year and a half ago. We built a 3,500 square foot TV studio in our facility. Why? Because video is content that people want now. You mentioned TikTok. What is that? It's all video. Pinterest, video. All video, sir. Video content is consumed at a much higher level than written content. So we do everything. We do the blog. We do videos. We do motion graphics. We do, you see my background, I ask a CEO, that's a new show that I've developed to talk to CEOs. And why is that? Because if you're trying to prospect and you're trying to get through the different levels of gatekeepers, mm. it's impossible, especially on the B2B side. So as an ask a CEO interview show, guess who I'm talking to? I'm talking to CEOs. We have a follow-up program that keeps them engaged with us for a couple of months. And that way, if and when they have a need in our industry, they'll call us. We've already, we've already secured several nice assignments based upon those interviews that I've done. And we're doing, we're trying to work in three different silos now because you can't work everywhere. Hmm. So we're working in finance, uh, healthcare, and professional services. Of late, I've done a few SaaS type companies, very interesting stuff. I did it, uh, uh, Artificial intelligence CEO the other day, I was blown away by what, what they could do. It's amazing. I love talking to CEOs. That's my passion. Mm. I developed this when we were at work at home. I was working at home for five, six months. Mm. I'm in my studio now, 
And ordinarily, this shoot would be two camera guys, a sound guy, and a producer. Mm. Now it's just me and you. And people are used to the quality on Zoom now, so they don't even they don't even pay attention to it anymore. So mm. I've now have I did 25 during the COVID, and I called them the COVID Chronicles. I interviewed like CEOs that I knew and had a relationship with, and we talked about what it was like running the company in COVID. And I would produce that as a COVID Chronicles. And that rang a bell in my head. Listen, if I can do this for my friends, why can't I expand the geography? Mm. So we did. And we said, well, you know what? We're doing videos. Guess what? There's an audio track. Let's make it a podcast. So mm. now we have both. Ask a CEO videos and ask a CEO podcast. So we're getting two bangs for the buck. So it's really kind of cool. I love, I love, 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 love innovating and changing and thinking. Uh, we have a TV production company coming in with us. We just had the, the, the handshake agreement yesterday. Uh, gentleman's been in the business a long time, making TV commercials and really top shelf stuff. He came, he said, I usually shoot outside, but look, you guys have a big studio. Maybe we could put it together. So we can so I love innovation. You have to be you have to be looking for opportunities and grab them when they show up. I love to say you have to milk the cow while it's here because it might not be here later. No, I, I, I think that's a lot of good wisdom. And I think there's a, a lot of wisdom in figuring out. I, it does feel like almost to your point that you, as before, you know, a marketing firm maybe was able to cover kind of all industries for everybody because it was there's a lot fewer things to cover. And now there are just too many industries, too different many or channels and platforms and that they have to start to niche down and be a bit more specific. So I think that's yeah, an interesting point. I mean, if you could market a widget, you could market anything. You know, it's just changing. It's nuanced. Mm. But really the difference today as opposed to marketing before is the um, integration of mm. all the different platforms. You need to be in the right platform at the right place at the right time in front of the right audience. That's what integrated marketing is all about. It's, no. not, it's not rocket science. Where are my people? How do they consume content? And how do I get to them on time in a yeah. buying process? It's, it's really not rocket science. I'm not a book learned marketer. I'm a street learned marketer. Uh, and I, I just seem to think that that's the way my life has gone. Learn it in the pit, you never forget it. No, I, I completely, and I, I like the, the or learning it on the street. A lot of times you learn it better than you would in the book. So, well, awesome. Well, as we start to wrap up the podcast, I always have two questions I hit on at the end. So we're going to jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, if you, or what, is what was your worst business decision and what did you learn from it? Uh, my worst business decision was trying to buy a 47,000 square foot warehouse. It was a deal that uh, we were well into. We were already renovating the building. And the SBA did not come up with the level of financing that they said they would. So we could not go forward with the building. It cost us a ton of money. And I gave the keys back to a renovated building and we walked away. That was the worst scenario we ever had in business. So then I'll follow up second half of the question. So what did you learn from it or what did, what kind of lessons did you take away? You, you have to look at worst case scenarios before you can take the risk. The, the deal was almost too good to be true. I had help. I had professional people saying, yeah, let's do this. Mm. And through no fault of ours, it fell apart. And, you know, you have to 
steal your spine and say, okay, we're going to move forward because I'm not going to run away and hide. And that was a very difficult day. I had to go back to this seller and say, guess what? We got to walk away. And uh, it was the very difficult, one of the most difficult days I've ever had in business. Hmm. No, I mean that one makes sense. And that's, you're talking my language as an attorney, as a lawyer, we always think in the worst case scenarios. And I always kind of found in business, hey, if I can live with the worst case, if, the, if everything were to go wrong and this is my worst case, if I can live with that and I'm okay with it, then I can live with anything because anything, yeah. you know, then everything else beyond that is all, all, all the better. So I think that's a good, a good lesson to learn. So now we jump to the second question, which is, so if you're talking to someone that's, oh, what's that? So jump, jump into the second, jump jump into the second question. Um, If you're talking to someone that's just getting into startups or small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Show up every day, ready to work, work hard, because you can only be responsible for the effort the result will take care of itself. And it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm. I like that. And, and I, I, one other thing I got, when I got from my father who had an eighth grade education, and this is my mantra, mm. he says, if you spend less than you bring in, you'll never be in trouble. <laughs> That's true. The only exception I'd give is if you spend less, you can't spend less than $0. So if you bring in $0, <laughs> you can't spend less. But true, zero. true. True, very true, very true. But no, I like what you said. And my mantra is a lot of the same as yours as far as the first point is I always I always tell everybody, myself and the employees that work for me, if you do what you say, when you're going to say you're going to do it, you're ahead of the 90% of the competition. Meaning if you actually just deliver on what you're going to say, when you said you're going to do it, most people fail at even that simple of a thing. So kind of, as you said, show up and actually just work. I think you mean, you know, show up, work and say, do what you say you're going to do you're going to be ahead of most people. So I think that there's a lot of words of wisdom from you. Was people want to, people want to reach out to you. They want to use your marketing firm. They want to follow your podcast. They want to get to know you more personally. They want to invest in your companies. They want to be an employee or any or all of the above. What's the best way to connect up with you? Come on down. We love you very much. I'm Greg at at Lorraine Gregory communications. It's Greg G R E G at LGCLI.com. I'm available all the time. I get my emails on my phone. Lorraine Gregory Communications is an integrated marketing company. We have all the skills in-house. We almost never outsource anything from design to strategy to campaigns to printing to mailing. You name it. We built it. It's in one house. And now we even have TV studios for you to use. Greg at LorraineGregory.com. Gregscorneroffice.com is the home of the Ask a CEO podcast. I've got a long list. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) <laughs> all right hey well that's a couple of good ones and i'm sure if uh, people can um, reach out to you and connect up that way as well as or find you online all the other ways so well thanks greg it's okay. been fun to have you on the podcast now for all of you that are yeah. listeners now all of you that are listeners on the podcast if you ever have an journey that uh, you'd like to tell feel free to apply to be on the podcast cast just go to inventivejourneyguest.com we always love to tell share your journeys and your stories if you are a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you get notifications of all the new episodes as they come out. And lastly, but not leastly, if uh, you are a startup or small business, if you ever need help with patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us. And we're always here to help. Thank you again, again, Greg. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to have you on. Thanks, Devin. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you.